Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our daily reading of the gospel of the day and meditation. My name is James Thomas. Today is Tuesday, August the 15th, 2023. It is the Feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary into Heaven. Our reading today is from the Gospel according to St. Luke. While Jesus was speaking, a woman from the crowd called out and said to him, Blessed is the womb that carried you, and the breasts at which you nursed. He replied, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. So we have a short little Gospel reading for today, but... We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the feast day. There's so much to say about this feast day. It's funny. A lot of people will say, well, you know, this feast is, uh, you know, shouldn't be celebrated or we shouldn't believe in this because it's not in the Bible. But the reality is we have ancient writings that didn't make it into the Bible, but they're still accepted writings. They're still writings of the church in the early centuries, the church fathers and some others as well. And so there's an ancient document called the Proto-Evangelium of James, and the church accepts this as a valid document. It talks about Mary's parents, Joachim and Anne. It talks about them not being able to have a child, but then praying and promising to offer this child to God. And then they conceived, and they were considered being an old age. We don't know exactly what that means, because people didn't live as long back then. But she was apparently past childbearing years, St. Anne was, and she had a child, and this child was perfect in every way. And so there's lots of stories to tell. And then in the Proto-Evangelium of James, it also tells the end of the story. See, it wasn't accepted as a gospel, because the rule for the Gospels is that they have to be focused on Jesus and specifically focused on his death and resurrection, as the four Gospels are that are considered the can- part of the canon of Scripture. The Proto-Evangelium of James tells the story at the end of how Mary lived with the apostles, specifically St. John, initially in Jerusalem, and then she went with him to Ephesus, and she suffered greatly because she could not get the image of her son's death out of her head. We say that St. Francis of Assisi was the inventor of the Stations of the Cross, but really, initially, it was Mary who invented the Stations. She meditated on her son's passion over and over again. She understood it, and she prayed for the salvation of all of us, understanding that that was the meaning of it, that was the purpose of it, Jesus paying the price for our sins, yet... She's his mother, and and as any of us, you know, Jesus says, all of you are my brother, my sister, my mother. Well, we should be very devastated when we meditate on the passion, and yet we should meditate on it often, and this is what she did. Well, the story goes that she got to a point where she was pondering how even her son, the son of God, had to die, and therefore she wished to die as well, but she was without sin. She was and is the Immaculate Conception. Death is a result of sin. Mary had no sin. Death is not permanent. Death is a separation of soul and body. It's a rupture. We are meant to be soul and body for all eternity. This is how we were made. This is how we're supposed to be. Mary did not require a rupture because there was no sin in her. However, she in a sense, chose to die. She, she wanted to die like her son, 
and she was suffering greatly and suffering greatly also because she wanted to be in his presence, even though she had mass on a regular basis with St. John and the apostles. She received Jesus. She had Jesus literally in her body, you know, from communion, uh, but constantly in her heart as well. She, she was united with Jesus in every way, but she missed him in terms of that physical human presence. And she continued to meditate on the passion uh, because it was in her and also for the sake of our salvation. And so in a sense, it was said that she died of a broken heart. And as she was dying and consenting to this death, we now refer to this as the Dormition of Mary, which we'll discuss in a moment why we call it that. Uh, All the apostles were summoned from all over the place. They had been all over the world, but they came from all over to witness Mary's death, to say goodbye to her one last time, and to place her in a tomb, a tomb that was recently discovered. They, they built one in Jerusalem, but it's not the real tomb. They recently discovered it in Ephesus, the true tomb of Mary, in a, in a place where she had lived with St. John. So all the apostles were summoned from all over the world, and they were all there except, of course, just like last time, Thomas was not there. Thomas didn't make it in time, and the Lord uses that to teach us a lesson. So Mary died. They cried they mourned her, they prayed, they placed her in the tomb, they rolled the stone in front of the tomb, and they were about to part company when Thomas arrived and said, please, I want to see our mother one last time. They called her mother. And so they allowed Thomas to see the body. They rolled back the stone from the entrance of the tomb, they opened up the tomb, they looked inside, and the tomb was empty. And they looked up into the sky and they saw Jesus uh, carrying his mother, body and soul, into heaven. And so it was good, you know, that Thomas was late so that they could do that, so that they could see the empty tomb. And then that drew their attention to what was happening. In the dogma of the Assumption of Mary, which was promulgated officially by the church in 1950, even though the church believed it right from the start, as we see evidenced by the Proto-Evangelium of James, and we hear from our traditions over the centuries, uh, it was celebrated in the liturgy over the centuries, etc. In that document of 1950, promulgated by Pius XII, it doesn't say that Mary didn't die. It just says at the end of her earthly life, she was taken into heaven, body and soul. So this is the story. We see it presented in artwork all over the place where there's paintings of Mary. We see this painting called the Dormition of Mary. We see Jesus carrying a, it looks like a little baby girl, uh, a little baby Mary carrying her soul back down to earth. And then the soul and body join together again. And then he takes her body and soul up into heaven. This is connected with, I mean, when when people are saying, oh, this isn't in Scripture. No, on the contrary, it is in Scripture. It's connected to so many different things. For example, the Immaculate Conception. People say that's not in Scripture. Well, when we see Mary's Annunciation and we read it in the original language, it was written in Greek. And uh, there's also, I don't know if we have a copy of the Hebrew translation, but there is a, you know, Matthew's gospel. We see it in Greek. And in fact, we see evidence of um, 
you know, even though we believe, yes, from history, it was written in Greek, uh, we still see even in the words themselves how it reflects what's called the Septuagint of um, Alexander the Great when he translated the Old Testament from uh, Hebrew into Greek. We see, um, I mean, one of the reasons that we see that, that evidence is that it says, you know, just like the prophet Isaiah said, the virgin shall be with child. And it uses the word parthenos, which is a Greek word that means biological virgin. The original Hebrew that the prophet Isaiah was written in doesn't say Parthenos. It says Alma in Hebrew, which means young woman, young woman who's probably physically a virgin, but it doesn't exactly mean that. It just means young woman that wasn't really of childbearing years yet. She's going to be with child. So yes, it's Alma in Hebrew. It's Parthenos in Greek, a little bit of a different meaning. And the the gospel of Matthew uses the Greek and the Gospel of Luke as well. I'm sorry, the, the enunciation is in the Gospel of Luke. Please forgive me. But my point is, they're both using the Greek. <laughs> and in the enunciation, it says, hail full of grace. The angel angels in the Old Testament did not have this much respect for human beings. But when they appear to Mary, they call her full of grace. And in fact, the words in, in Greek are a little bit more specific. You who have been filled with grace. In other words... You're without sin. You're completely in God's favor, unlike the rest of the human race. That's something very significant right there that they call her that. She is the immaculate conception. She is the one, I mean, it goes back to Genesis. The the the, the woman, her seed um, will be at enmity with the serpent. He says to the serpent, you will nip at her heel while she will crush your head. Once again, it has to do with the Septuagint. They're using the Greek, and the Greek says, she will crush your head. In the original Hebrew, it says, he will crush your head. So the church has accepted both of these translations as valid. And considering that passage, one refers to Jesus, one refers to Mary. So the scriptures accepted by the church are telling us that a woman will crush the head of the serpent. A woman will not be conquered by Satan. We've all been conquered by Satan, and we need Jesus to rescue us. Mary was preserved from sin. And so preservation from sin, the immaculate conception, this then leads to the assumption there's no need for her death, as I was saying earlier. All these things are connected, never mind the fact that we see Mary in heaven wearing a crown in the book of Revelation. John sees her. And she's giving birth to the Savior. And she is the enemy of the devil. And then we see the devil all chained up. Great saints have said, oh, that chain is Mary's chain. It's very specific. It's referring to the rosary. There's so many connections here, so many things that we can talk about. Getting back to our gospel reading. uh, Blessed is the womb that bore you. Blessed are the breasts at which you nursed. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Mary's motherhood is a great dignity. Jesus isn't diminishing that. He's not saying, oh, no, they're not. (laughs) But rather what Jesus is saying is that there's an even greater dignity, and that is those who follow me. And he says it in the other place as well. Who are my mother? Who are my brothers? Those who hear the word of God and follow it. Mary does this perfectly. Mary follows Jesus to the foot of the cross. Mary endures his sufferings with him. When Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, he's referring to Mary more than anybody else. So Pope John Paul, in his encyclical Redemptoris Mater, referring to Mary, 
he says Jesus is elevating Mary to a higher dignity. Through the history of the church, we've talked about Mary's motherhood of Jesus as being her great dignity. But Pope John Paul says, no, in the words of Jesus, there's a greater dignity than being his mother, and that is being his number one follower. She is truly blessed. And by the way, that's a fulfillment of the prophecy out of Mary's lips. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. It began in the Bible and it continues to the Hail Marys I'm going to say when I get in the car in a couple minutes as I'm driving and I continue to pray. Uh, So we celebrate Our Lady today. She's always there for us. There's so many stories of her miracles, her apparitions, her intervention, her intercession. And I know for me, she's constantly intervening for my spiritual needs, for my work needs. In every way, I'm constantly benefiting from her intercession. It's true we can go straight to Jesus. Jesus is our mediator. I get lectured on this from time to time from different people. But the reality is Jesus made us to be a church. He made us to love each other and pray for each other and work together. And Mary is the queen of this church. Mary is at the heart of it all. Mary's the top of the line. And that's why in Revelation, she wears a crown of 12 stars. The 12 represents the apostles. It also represents Judaism, the 12 tribes. Mary is the queen of all that. She's the fulfillment of Judaism. She is the queen of God's kingdom. She reigns on the throne with the Lord and in total humility. You know, we can't really say Mary has earned it. Mary, yes, it's true. She's perfect. Yes, it's true. She followed him perfectly, but still only Jesus is the savior. Jesus has earned for us our salvation, but Mary has cooperated in his redemption first and foremost and perfectly. So we celebrate her feast day today with great solemnity, and we continue to pray through her intercession to save us and to save our world. Have a great day. God bless you. Happy feast day.